Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I have an incredibly powerful dynamic for you. Two of my previous guests, Jim Walsh and Tony Gillen, came to my home and sat down together. Now, both of these men are fire service leaders teaching at multiple conferences around the country. However, they both had career-changing or career-ending injuries. Jim had a stroke just before being promoted as chief of his department, and Tony suffered a near-fatal injury after a halligan struck him from falling from a ladder. So as you will hear, we discuss a host of topics, not only their own physical and mental rehabilitation journeys, but also multiple areas including firefighter fitness, leadership, mentorship, bridging the generation gap, the hiring crisis, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredibly powerful conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 800 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Jim Walsh, and Tony Gillen. Enjoy. All right, well, I want to start by welcoming you to my home. This is amazing. Tony, you were here a while ago, pre-Halligan. We'll get into that. Yes, sir. And then, Jim, I was in your home last time, I believe. Yes. So, uh, so firstly, welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast again. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I think the best place to start is since we did our conversation, Tony, you know, you had a pretty life-altering event. So let's start there. And then, obviously, there's going to be some parallels with Jim's, you know, um, cerebral injury as well. And then we can get into fixing the fire service <laughs> well as it turns out <clears throat> too much iron in your diet is not good for you so uh uh as of uh, on eleven fifteen, i had a career changing life-changing event happen to me incident um working in our training division i was teaching new hires on phone ladders vs and bringing tools with the ladder so good news is just through discipline or else being who i am i was training full gear Turns out it's a very, very important thing to have that happen, even all your PPE, even in training. So <clears throat> there's a way I marry a Halligan to a ladder. Um, I've been doing it since 2007. A, a very well-known FDNY instructor taught me this at Orlando Fire Conference one year. And you know, pretty much what that guy says is gospel, which is one of those things. And uh, I've done this maneuver probably about 350 plus times, no exaggeration, without failure, obviously. Um, <clears throat> this one day, something didn't go right. And um, due to some one thing or another, um, the ladder wasn't cooperating the way it was supposed to. And um, having to beat down the ladder um, in the way the position it was in must have in some way vibrated the tool loose from the, the tension that's normally held on the positioning that it has. And the tool fell um, an arguable amount. Um, some say it's 6 feet to 10, 12 feet. Some say 20 feet. 
Um, so judging from the rung that I had it in, it was more of the 20 feet. And it came down and impacted my helmet. And the young, the brand new hires I had, they've got like 10 minutes on the job, or just looked at me in dismay that this thing had fallen and hit me. I didn't know what happened. I just know my bell got rung. <clears throat> and I was like, what the heck just happened? And I uh, took my helmet off, uh, shook my head a little bit, which in hindsight probably wasn't really good for it. Um, but I was trying to clear the cobwebs out of my head. And I put my helmet back on and then realized something wasn't right because I started to po- all of a sudden my hands get in front of my face and started to posture. Being a medic, I know that's not good. So I tell another guy who's a medic that was one of the new hires. I'm like, hey, man, give him high, man. I'm ready to go down. He's like, huh? I went, catch me. I'm going down. Just as I said this, I lost all feeling from the neck down. He caught me, lowered me to the ground. I'm still in full PPE, air pack on everything. They went and got uh, Chief Hitler training chief to come out back and get me. And he knew that it wasn't good. <clears throat> we have an ambulance at the, uh, the train division. There's, there's a high-performance truck there, a uh, rescue. She comes to the, the rescue us back and realize what's going on. They trauma alert me based on the fact that I'm laying there trying to wiggle my hands and toes, and I'm realizing them little fellas aren't cooperating. So I knew something was, was going wrong, um, but I managed to remain calm and kind of work the guys through it a little bit. And then, uh, so get trauma alerted, go to Cal Regional, get the trauma scan done, tell me that my vertebrae are fine, nope, no issues, everyone's kind of high-fiving, hey, good job, everyone's good, all right, cool, thinking I'm going to get home that night, I just got a stinger, and I'm going to be home, back to work, you know, my, my, my man and my wife and her else. and then we go to MRI, and then I'm MRI for quite a while, an uncomfortably long time. When they pull me out of MRI, the laughing and the jovial attitude the whole demeanor and the vibe in the air completely shifted to something different. Uh, when I looked at the guy, I said, Andy says, yeah, I'm, the doctor's got to talk to you. So I knew that was bad. Come to find out, <clears throat> I have I had a, uh, a spinal cord injury, which is it's called, I have what's called a central cord syndrome, which is the same syndrome that the original Superman, Christopher Reeve, same injury, same syndrome, which sounds wonderful um just not as bad as his of course so they weren't sure if i was ever going to walk in I had some problems breathing and some other stuff uh, a bunch of other issues come into play and so my poor wife is wondering what's going on you know what is going to happen so i had many visitors you included um so um a lot of people watching me wondering seeing me in the bed crumpled up in a ball were amazed because I got told later on, they just figured I was one of the guys that this wasn't ever going to happen to. That was indestructible. They've seen me do some pretty dumb stuff <laughs> and, um, and just shake it off and just keep going. So the fact that I actually finally got stopped for once was kind of amazing to some people. Um, <clears throat> ended up getting trans once I got feeling back in black. I was all right, cool. Did the surgery, fused me from C2 to 3.6, took all the discs out of my cervical spine. Oh, they removed the discs? <clears throat> yeah, full discectomy. So I've got zero discs from C2 to C6. So to keep the space intact, that way it doesn't close on the spinal cord, they put hardware in there on both sides of my neck and screwed it all in place to keep that open. So my neck is, I saw that you saw the x-ray, it looks kind of like the Eiffel Tower now. So, but, um, you know, it's one of those songs pretty strong. Um, still going through some physical therapy and stuff, um, range of motion issues. I'll never be able to go to air shows or, you know, have a, Good workout looking at really tall people. More um, MRIs. Yeah. So more MRIs. <laughs> Your yeah. head will pop off. Oh, yeah. I have those. So, um, but went up to Brooks Rehab uh, for that and go through the ability to have to walk again. 
um, cause I wasn't able to, I couldn't walk, couldn't feed myself. Um, couldn't do anything. Um, besides be a smart ass is the only thing, the only superpower I really have. Um, still have it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm in a good company then. So, uh, <clears throat> and the rehab process was lengthy. Um, very challenging. So, and just through constant, just striving to just get better every time, just little by little. And having something else to look forward to and just saying that this is more to me than this. You know, lots of things happen through your mind. So, well, that's the injury. I mean, it's got a constant reminder of it, a nice scar back there. So, it's interesting. It's a good conversation piece. <laughs> so, well, other than that, still trying to get over some things. Still not back 100% on the job. Um, but plugging along, you know. So, it's good. Life is good. Well, you mentioned Brooks, and before we hit record, you guys were both kind of comparing notes on on that being part of your recovery. So, Jim, talk to me about, you know, post-stroke, how that facility helped you. Yeah, so <clears throat> my stroke was in uh, August of 17, and I spent, uh, I had a significant hemorrhagic stroke. They had to do a craniectomy, where they actually removed part of the skull. And then they kept my skull off for a couple months. And then I had to go back to the hospital to get my skull put back in, which not a lot of people get to say that. Yeah. But um, so I spent three weeks at, at uh, Florida South, it was called at the time, which was a stroke center near near Winter Park there. And then from there, I went to up to Brooks Rehabilitation Hospital up in Jacksonville. And I was there for f- uh, four weeks. And uh, they were able to get me to do things that they never thought I was going to be able to do. Um, the surgeon that did the surgery the day of, um, at first didn't think that I was going to survive the the surgery because it it was a very aggressive surgery. Um, I was very fortunate because, um, I was, my stroke happened. It was in a staff meeting. It was witnessed. Um, I knew what was happening. I didn't want to, I didn't want to accept I didn't want to acknowledge what it was, but I kind of knew, And when I finally tried to ask for help, um, I was just, I was just having a really bad headache. And when I finally started asking for help, I was, I couldn't, I, I didn't had no, I had no speech at that time and I was slumped over my chair and everything. And so, um, everybody knew that it was, it was pretty, pretty significant at that point. Um, so they got me to the hospital very quickly and everything, uh, less eight minutes from the time I tried to say help. I was in the ambulance heading to South and then from four minutes from our four minute transport time from winter park to South, which I'm not really sure how that works. Um, but that was really quick. So <laughs> I was, I was in surgery, um, in less than an hour, which is just, it, it, it can that is the ideal situation, but it, it shouldn't happen that way or it, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. So I was, I was very, very fortunate with that, but I can tell you, um, Sitting on the on the stretcher, hearing yourself getting called in as a stroke alert. That was that was hard. That was hard. Um, I knew what was happening. Um, I was never. I was a medic. I was never a good medic. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll say that. Um, but uh, yeah, to hear yourself get, getting called as a stroke alert was was pretty pretty crazy. Uh, so like I said, I was there for three weeks, um, and then uh, went to to Brooks as well. Um, I was on the second floor. I think you were probably on a different floor at Brooks. I think I was on third. Um, third, yeah. Third. No. 
No, second. Was it? I think it was second. So we're yeah. probably in the same, yeah. Yeah, just down the ward from you. I was in the other ward, and you were down okay. farther around the other yeah, area. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so so Brooks, they were able to do some fantastic things for me as well. Um, they never, like I said, they never thought I'd walk again. And Brooks had me, you know, barely, but they had me up walking and stuff like that. And in those same parallel bars, I, I spent a lot of time in those as well. And uh, yeah, so I after after some time after Brooks and doing some follow up, uh, I walked in with a cane one day to my the the neurologist, the guy that or not the neurologist, the actual surgeon, the brain surgeon, because you know everybody gets to have their own brain surgeon, right? <laughs> and uh, they're still looking for mine, by the way. I don't know, but anyway. Um, but uh, he uh, yeah he uh, he when I walked in with a cane, he's like I. He's like, you're, you're walking with, and I'm like, yeah, well, when I come off the cane for therapy and he goes, yeah, I never thought you'd walk again. I'm like, well, thanks for telling me that earlier. <laughs> he kept that to himself. So though. yeah, it's not yeah, good for patient care. Apparently. And I, I never, but again, my patient care responsibilities are yeah, never great. But, uh, so yeah, so what Brooks did for me was, was fantastic, but I will tell you this and I know I'm, I'm getting really long winded on a couple things, but this past year, uh, I tried to meet up with you. Um, I went to, uh, Sandlot Jacks yes, and, in um, in Jacksonville and I ended up just randomly driving by Brooks and Sandlot Jacks. I don't know if you're familiar with it is, mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, so I, I went and I rucked, I rucked a 5k at Sandlot Jacks. And it was, it was, took me like two hours and everything, but I went from, they didn't think I'd ever walk again, drove by Brooks. And I was like, I had to stop and take like a selfie picture. And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then I rocked a 5k that, you know, which was, and of course this is five, six years later and everything like that. So it's like, incredible. yeah. So Brooks was a big part of my, my recovery as well. Yeah, when we have uh, we have to go up there, stuff to go up there for uh, appointments for the physiatrist and stuff like that. Every now and then, I go and see the girls, and um, so it was funny. I was always over the top with them, and I always had some crazy thing for them. And uh, they said that they that, that towards the there's a certain amount of physical therapy these these did the people know. And said the the amazing thing is they only get to scratch the iceberg with a couple of people that this type of injury have had. He says be either either it's a lot older people that have some injuries I have or more severe injuries or just the ability to not want to do it. There's that too. There's, there's the, the, the fact, the human factor of defeat. Um, and so they don't get to do anything. So with me, they're the exact opposite. No matter what they do, I wanted to do it and I wanted to do it well. So towards the end of my stay there, they were actually having to have meetings to figure out what the heck to do with me next because I was breaking down all the barriers um, to the point where it had me one day I was um when I, when the day I left Brooks, the exercise I had me doing was I was on a Bosu ball, standing on a foam block, doing air squats, throwing darts at a dartboard against somebody, and I beat him. And they're like, We're literally running out things to do. I said, <laughs> I said, I feel like one of those seals that beeped the horn with their nose, that's what you're doing with me right now. And they just start laughing. But I was always I would always have them like just little different things because the people that was coming in to see me and everyone else were like, nobody is coming in feeling sorry for you. I'm like, I don't, I don't associate with those kind of people. I, I just, I just don't. We talked about Scott Chapel. Scott Chapel was there numerous times. And, um, so they're like, everybody was coming up, but it's just like, Hey man, I'll get your lazy ass out the, out the wheelchair, you know, stuff like that. 
and um <clears throat> and it's just they were like oh. first they were like oh you guys are brutal i'm like no no this is what this is who we are this circle of friends i have they're just this kind of person so uh the, the funny one was um it was <laughs> one of the things they're having me do um they had me in a thing hanging from the ceiling Spent a lot of time in that too. Right? You know, the, the, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's, so it's a harness. A, yeah. a harness. Yeah. And it's sort of walk. So I was doing this like Ninja Warrior track, you know, and you got to walk over stuff and everything else. And so I'm like, hey, can you guys do me a favor? Like, what is it? Can you clear the way? I'm like, what is it? I want a Peter Panda's thing. And they're like, what? I just want to run and just like, wee. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, no. I'm like, why? Clear everybody out of the way. I'm like, what if you get hurt? I'm like, I'm already hurt. You know, so I was like, so they wouldn't let me do it. So I was a little disappointed. So, but they were, Brooks was absolutely f fantastic. Like it was just the way they're having me do things or else. And the girls told me when they got us, says, you were as much good for us as we were for you. Because we don't get to see the fruit of our works. We don't ever see, because you walked out of there. We don't usually have that happen. They're usually, we see them get loaded up in the van in a wheelchair and all right, you know, they, they don't remember. They're, they're, she says, here you are giving us a hard time you know, doing all these different things. And we're just like amazed. She's like, you're the, not even the 1% we get. You're so the only Irish one that's ever asked to go to Neverland. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. What's interesting is that parallels how I see mental health is discussed. There's this sense of, well, you know, you'll be able to deal with it. You'll be able to, you know, overcome it rather than the post-traumatic growth conversation, which is this could be a superpower for you. You've been the hell and back. You come out the other end, not only are you going to be more resilient, but people are going to come out of the woodwork saying, how did you do it? And I think it's the same with you guys physically. Yeah, yeah and you know, that's <clears throat> the whole mental health aspect of this journey. Um, you know, the, I'm six years into this journey as a stroke survivor and still feeling that and dealing with that on a daily basis. And, and it was, it was a couple of years before I even was able to acknowledge or realize that what I'd went through from a, I wouldn't say a traumatic perspective, but you know, I lost my career. I was forced, you know, all of that. Um, you know, I became disabled. Um, and, and that, that, that was hard. And, uh, fortunately there's been a lot of people that have been able to help me through that throughout that, you know, throughout that time. And I still, I still have people helping me through, through that part today because it's just, that's not going to go away. And I just, I, I would have never, I originally, I was, I was in that old school firefighter mindset of, I just, you just don't acknowledge it. You don't, you don't, you don't talk about it. You don't do those things. And now I'm glad that the fire service is starting to catch up with that and accept it and talk about it because it, it, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to acknowledge that part of it, right? Well, you had so many facets, and I want to get your perspective on, on this, but you had the loss of tribe, you know, your actual crew. You had the loss of identity, the firefighter that, you know, we always are, but you were literally wearing the uniform. Um, you know, the loss of purpose, the loss of your physicality. But then, as we've talked off mic, mentioning no names, you had immense support from some people you work with, and organizational betrayal from others. 
so now that tribe some of that tribe has turned their back on you so this this is the thing it's a multifaceted thing when someone hurts their back or has a stroke or gets nailed by a halligan you know there's the, the core group of people that are around and thank god for them but I don't think people understand the mental health element, even of a simple injury like the black in, black injury, back injury that I had, no matter truly life-altering events like you guys had. Yeah, yeah. The, and and there's, there, there's there's still that core group of people that are that are still there and will always be there, and they're only ever a phone call away. I don't get to see them all the time like I used to, you know, and I don't get to uh, get in their company often. But when I do, it's like nothing ever happened, nothing ever changed. And and that part is, is tremendous. You know, I will always hold that near and dear to my heart. But recently I went to, um, we have to go every year or every year we have to get a, a, a form signed for our pension. And we basically say it's the, I'm not dead form. And basically you have to, so you have to go and get your, your something notarized mm-hmm. basically saying that you're alive yeah do they look disappointed when you show up with it well <laughs> no <laughs> not another year <laughs> not yet i don't think so um but uh so i always just go and get go to the station it's one of the it's actually it's probably the only time of the year i go to the station and uh i'll see people away from the station but it's just hard to go back to the station as you can imagine and uh so i go back to the station to get that form signed because the people there all know me and you know whatever because i used to be right-handed and I don't have the use of my right hand anymore. So my signature looks dramatically different, right? And so anyway, so I just go to the station. Well, this last time I went, uh, rang the doorbell, you know, because I don't have access to the station otherwise. And a new person, a new hire came to the door. And I had no idea who they were. Sure, they and I used, to, I used to know, I used to hire everybody. Like I used to know everybody's background. I used to know everything. I used to guide them through the hiring process and everything. And so, okay, I'm like, I don't know, big deal. So I'm like, I wasn't even ready for that conversation. I'm like, ah, um, I'm a retiree and um, I'm here to get a form signed. And, and the, 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 the rookie was kind of looking at me like, you know, and I'm like, wow, like they're almost not going to let me in. They, yeah. they were, but it sure. was just like, it was that. And then all of a sudden, not, you know, because the door, when the doorbell rang, all the rookies started coming. So now the second person's there. And they go, uh, yeah, this is, or who's this? And they're like, oh, this is some retiree that wants to get something notarized, whatever. Third rookie comes in. So three people deep, yeah. they don't know me yet. No right? one's called Nobody a stroke alert me. yet. What's yeah. that? No one's called a stroke alert. Nobody's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to play that joke once <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. But so finally the third, you know, fourth person, and I'm walking through the station now. They were about ready to like, they weren't blocking me, but it was just, you know, there was those uncomfortable conversations. I'm like, I... I spent 20 years in this place. I'm yeah. going to walk into, this is my firehouse. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. okay. And, uh, I spec that truck. By yeah, the yeah, way. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. It's my truck. And then, then the, uh, finally fourth person. And they're like, Hey, Walsh, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, and, and one of the new guys says, Oh, you're chief Walsh. So I'm like, okay, so good or bad. They still talk about me they're, They know the name. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but right. whatever. But it was four people deep. Yeah. Before wow. I knew somebody, and it, and it hasn't been that long, but it, but it has, you know, and that's that was a that was just it was it was another step in the journey, you know, you know. But it was like, man, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm just that's just I'm blown away by that too. Just when you said, I was like, holy crap! I was just thinking about that. Your response to that, like, gut punch, like, yeah. Ugh. 
Well, it's yeah. your, your point. You said earlier, you said, you know, the loss of tribe. Like that's, that is, when we're in a profession like we are with the fire service, it's so dependent on tribe. We, we've, we've all been to, together. We've been through some tremendous things and we've, you know, <clears throat> we wouldn't have gotten through those things without that tribe. Right. And when that tribe goes away or you don't get to see that tribe often or whatever, that's hard. And, and people don't, we almost, we almost need to prepare people to retire a little bit differently. All we talk about when people are going to retire is about pension stuff and the drop and all these different things, which are all great, right? But they never talked about that loss of tribe and that loss of purpose and, and those things. And, and I certainly wasn't ready to, to you know, I, you know I, I showed up thinking, you know, I, I showed up that day thinking I was going to get a really big promotion in the next couple months. And I left her on a stretcher and never went back. And that's, that's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Walt Lewis, I think was, um, the one that said, I think it was Orlando that they had a sort of a program where they brought retirees back to train, not to train them to do, you know, to do the training. Because I mean, I saw in my limited 14 year career go from burning a lot down to, I mean, I did end up at Reedy Creek, which nothing burns, but but yeah, so, you know, but it, it just gets less and less and less. So the guys that were on 30 years ago, there's a lot of knowledge, right. you know, and yes, it was different. And no, they didn't get their ass handed to them on the EMS side like guys do today. But I'd love that inclusion of keeping right. people connected because I talk about this the time, you know, you one day your ID doesn't work just like yours doesn't. And you used to be an you know, integral part of that. And one of the parallels, I worked on summer camps for six years in America when I was still living in England. And, you know, you'd set this camp up and then these kids would come for three, you know, three blocks of three weeks. And then one day they'd all go. And it was just a bunch of buildings again. And even then you just felt like this is really sad. Like you put everything you had into it for those couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And it's people that make things what they are. You know, and so the moment that those people that gave everything for 20, 30 years move on, how awful is that that five years later they show up and people don't recognize them anymore? Like to your, what you were saying a minute ago about Alutu is that, that the, <clears throat> the retiree part, you can kind of set yourself up for. You're, 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 you see the, there's a graduate, gradual movement towards that end of the tunnel. For you and I, that wasn't the case. It was all of a sudden, and you're as um, were as immersed in the fire service as anybody was. You know, you were very, and I've said it before, and it's not blowing smoke up our ass, it's not what I do, but you're a very integral part of Florida's fire service. You know, so um, I was not to the extent you are, but when that injury happened, then Allison was like, hey, you might not be a fireman again. That was our identity. Like, yeah. Right, wrong, or different, that's what we, we were. So I was like, wait, 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 what do you mean? I'm, I might, I'm not going to do this again. Whoa, time out. Hold on. Let's back this up. I'm not on board with that. Well, your body might see otherwise. Yeah. You know, so, um, and so my thing was, was I, I'm no longer on the truck I was on. Um, so, and I, um, so I'm gonna. I've got moved to. I got when I come back, Nurnels, and they're going to put me in train division stuff. But uh, so many 
so many doors open for me. Um, unfortunately, unlike what they did for you, Chief. Um, and um, but <sighs> I miss my crew. Like I had some of the best men. Um, Quatavius Howard, Nick Labe, um, some of the uh, Jason Navarro, some of the best men that I would put up against anybody in this country because I was so proud of them. When we go to fires, it wasn't, I didn't care about running the fire anymore. I loved watching them succeed. I loved watching them do things, high five. I knew the fires were going to take, get taken care of when we got there. It was just seeing those men get to do the things they've trained for and they work out for them was just gold to me, you know, and I don't get to see that anymore. And, and the guys come in and they're awesome to me. But I miss them because I miss seeing, I miss mentoring them. And I miss, because every day I got to be around them, whatever whatever 10% I did to make them better, they made me better 20%. That's awesome. Yeah. But but the only reason why, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why that's happening, because you, you invested so much in them, is why they're able to do what they were able to do and how they're able to succeed even when you're not able, when you're not on the truck with them anymore. You know, that's... We always talk about the outside looking in, not being able to tell who the leader is. I had that with those guys. They were phenomenal. Just such poison, such they were they were hard asses. They were tough. If you had feelings, those were not <laughs> well, the guys to be as a truck company. That's what we expect. It's right? My kind of crew. <laughs> exactly. You would love them. They were they're fantastic. So this this is kind of a funny thing. So still still have the opportunity to teach. And most of the stuff I do is online now, but every now and then I still teach this one particular program in person. And, um, and it's actually, it's, it's part of a, a public safety leadership program where it's a predominantly a bunch of police officers that, that come to these, this four weeks of classes. And one day we put them at the fire ground. And so the reason just park in front of the building. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get to that part. You got to remember my, my father was a police officer. So I've got all, full right to, to make fun of them the entire time. But, um, so anyway, so this police officer, I, I do this lecture part in the morning and I call myself out of, I've, I show people the scan of my, of my, my, my brain and Hey, this was, this is me. And this is what blood pressure does and all this. And I, you know, I talk so they can learn from me and don't, you know, I said, but, you know, and anyway, the, uh, the firefighters that I teach with all guys, you both know you've, you've both been around them, both, all of them rather. And, uh, and they're, they're just, they're being brutal on me. You know, they're always, they're making fun of me about, you know, everything about not the limp or the right hand and do all these different things, whatever. And it got so bad that one of the police officers during the break came up to me, he goes, Hey, he goes, uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to address this with you, but, um, do I need to make a complaint? I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh my God, what, what happened? I'm like, what, 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 you know, what happened? And he goes, they complain about how they're treating you. And I'm like, how, what, who's treating, tr- yeah. what, what do you mean? And he goes, they're, they're, they're just making fun of you and they're making, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, listen, when they stop making fun of you is when you worry. Yeah, I'm absolutely. like, these are, these are firefighters. You know, I spent my entire career with these people and I, they, I deserve to be made fun of and they deserve to make fun of me. And if that ever stops is when I'm going to worry. And so it was just, it was funny because, but the, the law enforcement community was not, um, they look at the firehouse humor a little bit differently than, than everybody else does, I guess. Oh yeah. I'm lucky. My wife is an ER nurse. So for 22 years, 
she's probably got either darker humor than I do or just as and so my wife and I are carbon copies of each other. The way she is with nursing and, and what nursing is supposed to be is when I'm with the fire service. So all the guys that know my wife at the hospital, <clears throat> I've said that, are like, your wife is the female version of you, like, just cut and dry. Like, if we are not doing what we're supposed to do on, like, with pays and stuff like that, she'll, she'll get in her butt about it. Like, really, they could have taken an Uber and gotten better care. What are you doing? Come on, you're better than that. <laughs> yeah. And she would, she would give them a hard time, but she would coach them up. And they're like, LT, your, your wife is brutal. I'm like, so the, the drug is always, I'm like, hold on a sec. Was she in jeans and a t-shirt? They're like, no. I said, so the charge nurse at the hospital gave you a hard time, not yeah. my wife. Yeah, yeah. I said, my wife is way more brutal than the charge nurse at the hospital. Remember that. So and and you probably deserved that. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you deserved it. <laughs> I've, I had my crew from Anaheim on twice, truck crew. It was me. And then my, my firefighter partner was from South Africa. My engineer is Mexican-American, and then my captain is basically, you know, Caucasian-American with a Scottish heritage. Oh, perfect. And so... That decals the Benelton on your truck. (laughs) (laughs) So it was nonstop, you know, making fun of each other. It was hilarious. I laughed so hard for like two and a half years straight till I had to come east. But if anyone had listened in... Right. Oh, you yeah. know the PC police yeah. would have oh know, yeah would oh, have thrown brutal. us in jail. So this was this was another funny thing. So the day I went to the hospital to to get my skull put back in because again that's not something that just sounds really that odd. Does, yeah, that. Just, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the surgeon he comes in and and this is the guy that did the surgery that the first day and he goes hey so I just I left the uh, the bone freezer and um and uh, you know everything looks good like your skull it's it, it is intact and everything so we're going to be able to put your skull back in and and everything's good he goes uh, do you have any questions about the procedure and i'm like yeah doc actually i do and he's like okay so it gets real serious and stuff like that again brain surgeons don't have a lot of sense of humor right uh, but i but i love my surgeon i'm so thankful for his skill and precision but anyway he goes uh, so it gets real serious he goes okay what's what's the question i said um i said doc uh, the crew all, all the firefighters they said they all signed it like a cast, um, my skull piece. Um, can you verify if that happened or not? And he can, he's looking at me and he he didn't know what to say. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, Doc, I'm I'm just I'm just joking. And he's like, I didn't even I I don't know how to handle that. Like he's never been never been asked a question like that before. So, gotta love the firehouse, man. Gotta love the firehouse. My guys were trying to find somebody with a 3D printer and they're going to make out of uh, plastic a, a life-size pro bar out of plastic. And they're going to spray paint it nice and shiny and else and do it. Like, they're going to tune it and everything, but they're going to put a bend in the middle of it. <laughs> in the shape <laughs> of a helmet. They put it in the, the station. And like a Lieutenant Gillen was here, you know. So I, and that's the kind of stuff that you love. It's just a case of, you know, other people look at that and it's just like, oh, it's just it's our way of caring. It's our way of showing that hey, we're thinking about you. As dark as that may seem, they made little things about you know, um, you know, trauma alerts and everything else. And I went to the station one day and they had it on there, you know, uh, no halogens above this height. You know, little, <laughs> little lines and else. I was like, that's awesome. So it, it is, but it probably says a lot about our uh, our mental health and, yes. and, and those kind of things. Like yeah. that's yeah. But, but anyway. I used to love going to Anaheim when when one of us made a mistake because by the time you got back to the station, the entire pin board oh, yeah. was all these cartoons and you know oh, photos yeah. taken from the internet. And it was like, all right, I guess I won't be making that mistake again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a learning opportunity. 
So I want to throw some topics at you. Obviously, you know, we, we want to talk about the kind of commonalities between your two healing journeys up to this point. Um, let's start with the hiring crisis that we have at the moment. Obviously, you know, we've got different generations at the table, you know, some, some already transitioned out, some working at the moment. Um, I obviously have some observations of my own, but I don't want to throw that out there first. So let's start with you, Tony. So being in being with everything going on, everything post, uh, you know, you hear the term when COVID was was going on or Nelson COVID was over, the uh, what was it? The the Great Resignation is what the term the, the term was the realization of everybody getting out of different things, they different fields because there was such a, the ability to work from home. People find that hey, I can stay home and make money on a computer and stuff like that, you know. So, um, so due to the fact that fire departments were getting ran ragged. Uh, EMS, health, healthcare in general is getting ran ragged after COVID. We had a lot of people leave, leave healthcare in general and, and the fire service. They got burned out. So there was this huge void left because the people that were still here waiting to do the retirement or burned out. Um, your city governments or your county governments are having a hard time trying to, and all they want to do is, hey, we've got to fill seats. We're one of those professions. You can't just fill seats. It it, it it doesn't work, you know. You, you may, but only us in the field, you being a chief, know the detriment that can have to your organization. You have to vet at some point in time. You have to vet things out, and is this person a good fit for your department? We're running to the issue in most departments. You didn't have that luxury anymore. I remember when City of Orlando, I remember back when I got hired in 2005, I remember applying to City of Orlando back 2004, 2003. And the hirings were at the center floor fairgrounds over two days, 3,000 applicants plus. That's when I graduated school, but I yeah. couldn't because yeah. they said I wasn't an American citizen. So yeah. go fuck yourself, James yeah, Geary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the, the, even then it was a case of, if you had a speeding ticket, you weren't getting hired. You know, we could be that selective. Nowadays, it's like, well, so what kind of felony do you have? It's only one. It's fine. Yeah, like it well, should be was the murder well, in self-defense. Was it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was it a domestic abuse one? Um, when can you do an interview? You know, and, and it's sad because, <clears throat> and it's just, there was such a, a strain on, this, on the system. So in comes this newer generation. That, like we said before, been raised at home, raised during COVID or something like that, or different things. You go to hell, the whole gamut of stuff, one, one parent households, um, you name it. So, I joked about you guys earlier about one of the young men we just got that didn't know how to put on a belt. I'm not singling them out, but like I was, I, I was telling Chief Walsh, belts don't come with instruction manuals. They're pretty self explanatory, but this young man didn't know how to put on a belt. At first, I was like, Are you kidding me? Then I was like, Hold on, take a step back. You don't know what you don't know. So I'm like, this is where we're at. So I've told all, all the attendants now in our Nelson training, we're getting these young kids in. I hate to tell you guys, but you have to raise them. This is where, this is where you being an officer, this is where you being in the fire service, so you have to mentor these young men and women what makes our job special because they don't know. It's hard. It's a, a thought process that you and I would never have in a million years thought, and you, that you would ever have to worry about 
you know? So here we are, and it's just like, it's completely uncharted waters for it, us. It's going to take, take the fire service and, you know, certainly law enforcement and police or um, law enforcement and military, and they're going to have similar issues as well, that our way of training people and, intro- and introducing them into our system and our culture and everything else is going to have to be a little bit different because they're just going to need a little bit different attention in different ways. And some of the things that made us successful and, and what, what drove us is not going to necessarily drive the next generation of, of public safety individuals that doesn't make it wrong, but it just makes it where we, as people that are, that are in the industry or, or whatever, we have to, we have to adapt because the the generation of of new hires is 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 different and we're going to have to adapt the way we teach them and 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 all those things and it's just it's uh I don't think that we as the fire service were ready for that but we don't have a choice we have to we have to respond not react even to the fact of <clears throat> I wasn't in the fire service during the accident 9-11. But, as callous as this may sound, I don't know how to say this right. It's going to sound horrible, but no matter how to say it. It was a recruiting tool to a certain extent. You know what I mean? As far as 9-11, you've seen these guys that half of them you knew. A lot of names you knew, you'd associated with. Um, Dan Hannon and guys like that. That you could say, well, these are these great guys. These are what firemen were and this and that. And it was a, People wanted to be belong to that. I've got kids in this class right now, and we've got kids that were hired. They weren't born when nine eleven happened. So horrible to say, it doesn't mean anything to them. We do a nine eleven stair climb. They're like, okay, we're just doing PT for the day. They're not understanding the the le- the, the gravity of the situation. It's not their fault. They just weren't born, you know. So and people like myself, we get aggravated. But a guy, young kid, during we work every year we watch um, still riding, and um, we're watching sitting down. Myself, Pablo Jenner, and our new guy at the station, we're watching it. About twenty minutes into it, we're watching on nine eleven, and um, our new guy, our new guy, goes up and he goes to the gym. And Pablo goes, "What the fuck's he doing?" I, said, I don't know. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. And Pablo, we're watching it, and now we hear the weights clanging and banging in the, in, out in the bay. I was like, what not? I was like, he's like, is he working out? I was like, does he not know what's on TV? I'm like, hold on. So I was talking about it. I said, hey, man, what are you doing? He goes, I, I just come here to work out. I didn't want to bother you guys. I'm, no, no, it's just it's like a learning thing. He's like, uh, I, I, he goes, I, I, not being rude, it doesn't mean nothing to me. And inside, I can feel my blood pressure just like. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be careful that blood pressure, man. Yeah. I'm like, and I was like, it hurt to hear someone say that. And I'm like, as a ringer, I'm getting ready to knife hand. I'm, I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, Lieutenant, I was three. And I'm like, uh, come on back in. This is important. Yeah. And that's where we have to, we have to do better to, to make sure people learn the, why that's important. You would think, you would think that it's, you know, but, but they've only, they've only learned some things from a history book or from, you know, uh, you know, whatever they don't, they, they weren't there or they weren't of that age at that time. You know, it 
just before I left the fire department, I was hiring people. I was I was seeing applications. People were trying to apply for the fire department that were born after my start date in that fire department. So these were people that were they were born after my start date. I was like, I was on shift before you were born. Like, okay. So again, I just you you have to change that perspective a little bit because I would I would have never thought that I would have never thought that that could happen or would happen or whatever but of course it did I had an aha moment when I was early 30s that that time in my life 30 whatever it was that many years prior to my birth was World War II now me as a young boy World War II was a thousand years ago but now we're all good Mm -hmm. and that's how short a time you know, that, that was, you know, I mean, I'm f- 49 now, so that's another 15 years gone from there. But you look at the other 50. <laughs> <laughs> but way, this is, this is one perspective I have on, you know, what you're talking about as far as service. Do you remember Blue Peter? Yeah. When we were little? Oh, yeah. So we had a, a, quite a few awesome children's television shows, and one was called Blue Peter. And almost constantly, there was some sort of fundraiser going on for... You know, the kids in Ethiopia or, you know, whatever it was, they would they would deliver what was going on in the world and they'd be like, let's do something about it. Have j- you know, jumble sales and all these things. And kids from all over the UK, the schools, their Cub Scout, you know, whatever it was, would raise money and then you'd send it. And I feel like there was a lot of kindness and compassion. Even had a thing called John Craven's News Round, which was like a kid's version of the BBC. And we would learn what was going on in the world without, you know, people arguing with each other and, you know, having the, you know, conservative John Cravens and the liberal John It was just the news, the end. And now you look at today. It's not possible. These children. Yeah. It's not possible. Where are the people saying, let's help other people? This is, this is the thing. All our kids know are the Trumps and the Bidens and the CNNs and the Foxes and this divisive fuck community. I got mine. I'm not doing socialized medicine. This this whole rhetoric at the moment doesn't inspire kids to serve. So I think that's another part of the conversation. Yeah. I'll, I'll help, just not them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you even know who them is? So I, you know, my wife and I have been. Um, it was it was my wife's idea, and it's awesome. But we actually we do some volunteer work with our kids. We bring our kids to like we do to give kids the world village. There and 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 our kids go with us, and they understand and they appreciate the volunteering and stuff like that, and they and they they enjoy that as well. And I think that's I think that's awesome, you know. And I think more people should do that, you know. I, we're we're fortunate that we're able to do it in, in in that regard. But then the other thing is even like, and you'll you'll appreciate this. My daughter, <clears throat> apparently, you know, so, so my, my my daughter was. Uh, seven when I had my stroke and my son was four. And so my daughter remembers, well, both of them, but certainly my daughter remembers coming up and seeing me at Brooks Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and so forth. And so my daughter, she's, she's still in Girl Scouts and she wants to do a project, her like uh, silver award project or like her project in the high school. She wants to do it where um, she wants to be able to give people the ability to, uh, have hotel rooms to go visit their their loved ones that are in the, in in Brooks and those types of hospitals and I was like man that is like that is so cool right mm-hmm. that, I was so like but 
you know, that's, that's, I've got to say that's for my wife. Like she, the kids understand service, service, right. And, and how important that is. Right. So that's like, that's, it's not just service, it's selfless service, wanting nothing in return, but the feeling you've got in your heart for doing the right thing. We don't have enough of that anymore. It's always like, I'll do something. I'll do something for you. What's in it for me? We have a whole society like that. I remember growing up as a kid in Scotland or Nelson. When I came to the United States, we, my mom and I know some different things. Growing up in Scotland, if I had something that I didn't need anymore and you could use it, I gave it to you. We came to the United States. It's not saying all Americans like this, obviously, but we noticed that when we moved into Navy House and stuff like that, you know, my mom was like, oh, you know, she's like, oh, said something. And one lady's like, uh, oh, could you use that? My mom was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, $20. I was like, what are you going to do with it? I'm just going to throw it out. But if you can use it, $20. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what the hell is that about? You know, and it's just one of those things that we, we were like, well, this is a little different. You know, we weren't used to that. There wasn't that kind of financial motivation behind it. It was just a case of, hey, if I could help you, I'm going to help you, you know. So, and it's just, we said something earlier about the, um, the, the thought process of the, how we have to deal with this generation of different of, of younger people coming in the fire service. My, well, the only times I've ever, I don't want to say embarrassed by fire chief, but it was a case of it was when I made a lieutenant. We were talking about different things. We were talking about um, millennials and this, the younger generation. And um, the comment was made about, you know, he made the comment of, and I know what he meant by it. And um, he says, uh, <clears throat> you need to understand, the Navy SEALs of today in combat are millennials. And if SEALs can be, if SEALs can adjust and accommodate millennials, so can we. And I was like, put my hand up. I was like, uh, Chief, that's 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 wrong mindset. He's like, excuse me? I'm like, the Navy SEALs didn't change to allow, to, for, to allow anybody in. You have to meet the you have to meet the criteria and standard to be a Navy SEAL. They don't change who they are. They haven't since World War II. So no, one else had to change who they were to become SEALs. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew what he meant by it. He was like, Hi, Anthony, you were a little you came out a little harder. I said, Chief, I apologize. I didn't mean that because I was a recon marine, so I was like, I understand. You know, wait a minute. Well, well, we don't lower our standards for that. That doesn't. That's not how that works. So I came at him a little aggressive, and uh, I apologize for it. We have a laugh about it now, but um, it just. But we do have to have a standard, but we have to implement it a little different. Yeah. You know, it's okay to have a standard, but you've got to implement it a little different. The shouting, you've got to keep the standard though. There's got to yes, be the standard has, be. has got to be. And, it, and the standards are actually probably going to have to increase or change. I would think. I wouldn't say, but it changed mm-hmm. from when we started our careers because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are different. Yeah. There's a lot of things, like I remember very specifically, um, the first time there was a conversation about putting body armor in a, on a fire truck. I'm yeah. like, that is never going to happen, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. In less than a year from that, that me saying that was never going to happen, we were doing it and training along with our police officers in the city and doing all these things. And I was like, wait, what, what just happened? Because so we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to adapt and we're going to have to move everything forward. You know, yeah. it's interesting hearing, you know, the people in the tactical world talking about that and they're like, you got one helmet, you know, per seat on the fire engine. He's yeah. like, we see you guys getting off. Like the helmets falling off the, Vest isn't sitting properly. 
So again, even that is kind of box checking. Like if we're going to do it, we need to do it properly and everyone have their own, you know, basically PPE when it comes to, to shooting as well. Well, look at the whole thing we've done with, um, did you ever worry about when you were coming to the ranks or else? Um, active shooter training. Now we have, we have active shooter training for a good reason. Triage is different. We have ta- we have tactical and party re- uh, triage in there now for for schools. I mean, who would ever thought that? You know, it's just one of those things. How how I hate to say it, I, I, a degradation of society has changed how we have to do business. Right. Well, and the 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 speed of when it's happening. So like right. even you know we were you know when when Columbine happened, we were we were obviously the the law enforcement community changed pretty drastically after that, but but the fire service didn't at first and it took some time and everything. But now there's some, these, there's a number too many of these defining types of calls that are happening very, very frequently in many jurisdictions. It's not just certain places anymore. I mean, it's all over the place and um, we're just the fire service and, and just emergency medicine and just, Law enforcement, everybody's going to have to keep up, and it's and it's changing so quick. It's just hard to keep up, but we have to. There was that video of that retired police chief getting deliberately run over by the kid that stole the, the car. I, I saw that? that. That was. That, I mean, that's the thing. Is like you've got to. We've now devolved, and again, these are isolated incidents. It's not the whole people. Just as with the kindness thing, I think most Americans are kind. Yeah, we just don't see it on our screens, and yeah. if we do, it's some dickhead filming himself so he can make twice as much money on his YouTube channel. Yeah. But you know, this is you know, the the threat to anyone in uniform is getting greater and greater and greater. So I remember working in a lot of rough areas in my career and was taught very early don't stand in front of the door when you knock you know what i mean and so that was from day one for me but now the likelihood of something bad happening you know and when we were young you know the Mm -hmm. the ira Uh when i was right next to an mod base yeah so we were thinking about you know you know devices and blowing up our cars so again that was in my head when i was a young boy but this is what's terrifying is you know you can literally be murdered simply for wearing the silver or gold badge Oh, yeah. Well, we were same thing. We had a problem. Uh, we had a couple of guys that um, we changed our uniforms. We used to wear um, our aspies or button ups. We were we wore light blue for the longest time. Well, all of a sudden we went to Nomax and we went to dark blue uniforms, full dark blue uniforms. Ocala Police Department wears the exact same color uniforms. They're they're a little different. We had the same but, in Anaheim. So you know, there were people, and, and I thought it was like I was like, oh, come on, people know the difference, you know? To see the Maltese cross on my shoulder, you know, but. I was getting out of a fire truck one day at Publix, and this, this guy goes, "This guy goes, he goes, hey, the cops are here." And I'm like, "That's that's a fire truck he's got out of. Cops don't got a fire truck." So I'm thinking to myself, "Ah, uh, you're undercover." Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm like, "What is wrong with you?" Well, you know? We ended up putting on. <laughs> that's funny. We ended up putting on red polos. This is a number of years ago. We started doing mm-hmm. red polos, like, "Oh, this is going to be great." Right. Well, then we walked. We just happened to walk around. Like one of the first days we had that uniform. We happened to walk around Office Depot. We had to go go get something. <laughs> and Office Depot, they were wearing red polos. Mm-hmm. And so somebody was coming up to me, and it was about like two or three people came up. And by the by the ne- by that by that time, it was like, all right, it's like it's the printer ink is over that side. Like, yeah. it wasn't even worth telling them that we were yeah. firefighters anymore because yeah. it was like. <laughs> I think the same happened to Orlando, didn't it? As soon as the boar's head truck showed up. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the paint scheme changed. Yep. Oh man. Hey. I, I remember in Anaheim because we had such a 
dense Mexican population, some of whom were documented, some were not. Yeah. We would do the fire inspections, which I love, by the way, as, as a fire department, to really learn, learn your first year. Because it wasn't like, yeah. you know, you, it was very... It wasn't punitive. It no, was yeah. not, you Informational. were just, just yeah. advising, yeah. really. But you got to see, I mean, some of the crazy shit we saw in some of these buildings. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you'd see the guys scatter. And then, you know, we'd be like, no emigra, camate. <laughs> yeah. we're, not, we're not here to take yeah. you away. We're just the fire department. But yeah, I mean, you, we had the big puffy jackets, everything. We looked just like cops, but with no body armor or guns. So very vulnerable in a gangland area. Well, you talked about standards. Um, one thing that I've witnessed that seems to be a truth. When you keep a standard high, I argue that you make it more desirable and the best people will actually start lining up outside your department if you like the last place i worked dig a hole and then put the bar down there then wonder why no one's testing for you i think it's you know converse and yes benefits will pull some people but those are people that are going to you because of the benefits not because of service so what is your perspective not only on the bar but you touched on marine recon the absence of fitness punitive fitness standards in our profession when it's present in special operations ocean lifeguards and all the other professions where lives are at stake we're looking at ever since i've known you you've always been a good chap so to me reckoning that and else the reason why you've had success with what you've had in your injury is your physical fitness okay if you'd have been obese and been out of shape or else you may not have been so lucky, but your body was strong. Same thing happened to me. My, my, my nerve sergeant told me, she was, if you would have been in the shape you're in, you'd be dead. And I was like, okay. So it's one of those things where it definitely pays dividends. Um, I hate the word tactical athlete. I, 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 don't, I don't really care for that term. I, I understand it, okay? But you're making an oath and a commitment to be there for someone. And if you, if, there's so many different avenues to that. Um, being shaped or else, you know, if you're out of gear, if you're out of breath, putting on your gear, getting out of the truck and pull, you put on your air pack and you're already huffing and puffing, you're an LED waiting, a death waiting to happen on the fire ground. Now I can't depend on you as an officer if I'm worried about you. There's just so many, we see in training division, we see in training, the, the crews that that aren't in good shape are terrified to, to go to training because they, they feel like, what are you guys are judging me? Yeah, because you're showing up unprepared. We, we know you're going to struggle. I can't believe we're doing this training. This training is stupid. We did this last time. This is stupid. All you, want to do is, all you want to do is come down on us. No, no, but you're clearly not doing your part of the end of the bargain. You should be excited to go to training. Right. Period. I love I loved going to training. What, what, what training division thought us? This is awesome. You know, or else, you know, I'd always end up critiquing and go, hey, we can make this better by doing this, you know? And it usually was going to make it harder, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but that's the time to do it in training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you don't. High performance crews sweat together. They, they get sweat equity. They, 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 they do hard things together. There's a camaraderie compounds that exactly so and what it does is they don't understand the psychological aspect that has is i just saw you get put through the ringer 
on a workout, but you endured and you stayed with me. Awesome. I know where you're at. I know where your head's at. I know you didn't quit. As minuscule as that sounds, that psychologically is huge for us. Yeah. One of the things that worries me, because I, your department mm-hmm. posts pictures of new hires, mm-hmm. and we label our fire academy minimum standards mm-hmm. beautifully yeah. labeled. This is the fucking worst you should ever be. Yeah. And yet, several of these young men and women, and I'm not trying to be mean, but this is you haven't got into shift work, the thing that's really going to brutalize you, are already clearly. I don't even know how they passed. I mean, the PT must have been easy in some of the academies they went to because that terrifies me. If you walk, if you stand on a grinder of, of a orientation of a fire department deconditioned, you have set yourself up for we've, failure. We've had people come, we've had people hire with us and said that they did not go to Florida State Fire Academy because the PT was so hard. They went to somewhere else, somewhere down south where it is. Um, and it's so, and, and it shows and their performance or else. And, uh, and that's the thing these, these, we, we get them in our department, uh, though, like, uh, we just had a, and a non-cert class go through everything. And they were like, uh, now they're done with the fire school. They're like, Oh, you know, whoo, I don't have to do that. I don't have that again. Like, no, you're, you're bar one, you know? You should spend the rest of your career getting better from this point. Correct. Right? To your point, minimum standards. And, yeah. And, you know, that was, <clears throat> I never, I never took the whole physical fitness side of it as, as I never took it to light as much as I should have. Um, I was always of the mindset of, and, and whatever I was, I'm going to work smarter, not harder. Right. Which is great. Right. That's, that's important. That got me very far in my career, but at the same time you have to be able to do the hard work as well. And I was able to do all the the work and stuff like that, but I'm now seeing uh, a different side of, you know, in the department that I used to be in, I'm seeing their, their physical fitness is, is going through the roof in a good way because they are what they're, they're doing tactical type training. They're doing, um, they're doing physical fitness stuff, incorporating training in physical fitness, and they're trying and training. They're doing both at the same time, and um, I think that the bar is is getting raised. And so, but I think it's a, I think it takes a tremendous amount of work. I think it takes a tremendous amount of not only the physical work, but it also takes uh, an administration that's going to support that and finance that. A lot of it isn't doesn't take a lot of money. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of everybody here knows firefighters can bring a lot of effort if, if, if the conditions are right, right. If they're inspired. Right. And, and so given the right condition, so what administrations need to do is embrace that and inspire people and give them the opportunity. Just, they just need to get out of people's way and the firefighters will come up with the ways to to make good training, physical training, uh, skills training, and, and combine it all at the same time. And I think that's where what I'm seeing, I'm seeing some, and I'm looking at a very small lens. I'm, I'm looking at the things that I want to look at in the fire service now, not the stuff that everything, you know, because I, I only have to look through a small lens anymore. Right. And what I'm seeing is is good stuff. But I know it's because I'm looking at a very small subset of it. And I wish that more people were doing it. 
mm-hmm. right? I just did the three four three hero challenge again for the ninth year. I did it with okay. Casey Allen, yeah. who, by the way, you know, of, of our points, he's responsible for a lot of them. But yeah, there's the Masters, which was I think forty and above, and then, okay. and I've always do like, fuck that. I'm doing yeah. the regular one because. Yeah. You know, to me, the ladders, the hoes, the person, yeah. they don't care. Yeah, no. But, you know, I was born in the 70s. Yeah, they don't no. give a shit. Just get me out. So, but I've I've always said this, you know, the people say, oh, brotherhood and sisterhood is dead. Like, really? Go to the hero challenge. You will see fit firefighters, driven firefighters, cheering each other on, oh, yeah. suffering together, just like you said, leaving everything out. There's one guy, I think he's actually a CrossFit guy. I don't think he's a fireman, but... He literally, every single time I've seen him compete, they follow him with a trash can because he pukes when he works yeah. out. Good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Good. Because yeah, exactly. that means he's he's giving it his all. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So they get right. it. And then this this year, there was a new facility. But prior to that, where they were able to, there's, you know, FDNY photos all over the wall. The, every heat begins with one of the dispatches from 9-11. Oh, wow. I mean, so you when you start, you're like, you get it. Oh, yeah. I, I know why I'm here. And we're not. We are never going to forget. But that is the level of strength and conditioning that you need. I remember in the last place, they did high-rise training and they were going to do it in this two-story building, Disney property. And I'm like, uh, Chief, quick question. How are we going to simulate getting to the fire floor? Oh, well, you're going to walk around the building a couple of times first. And I'm just like, you know, face-palming so hard, my hand goes to the back of my head. And I'm like, this is the problem. Next to my station is a 29-story hotel. So I have to be able to take 100 pounds of gear with a high-rise strip, 28 stories, 29 stories, just to get to the fire floor to do what we were trained to do. But you're telling me that it's okay just to simulate that with two times around the building and then, you know what I mean? This is the problem, is that the, what training is is a mirror. And you've got to have the courage to look in the mirror, which I, I mean, I, I tested for be a paramedic instructor. I was thinking about this today. And we don't do RSI in Orange County, and I don't think I've ever hung dopamine in my life. Know the street method, but they asked me those two things. I couldn't tell them how to calculate it, mm-hmm. medic school style, yeah. and I couldn't tell them the doses of you know the RSI meds because yeah. I don't use them. Yeah. No excuse. I should have fucking looked it up. That's yeah. on me. Right. So that mirror that day was embarrassing. I'm like, yeah. oh, James, you don't know. You may not use them, but you don't know. Yeah these skills that you needed to know for this position that is what training is look in the mirror and going holy shit i didn't realize i wasn't very good at this but you took Let ownership of it. that and and you have to t- you were willing to take ownership of that we have all seen people that are not willing to take ownership of their failures in training or on calls and not and not willing to make themselves better and that's the problem that's a problem we said about the standard um like that 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 Train division rows or training the, the scenario they give you. So that's a, a a gentleman wanting a standard, but not meeting a standard himself. So you know, all right, hey, we want to accomplish this. I don't want to. I don't want to have to climb this up and down a bunch of times because I'm not fit to do it. So what can I do to kind of mimic it a little bit where I'm not really shown that it's bothering me that much and I can keep up? Hey, let's walk around the building a few times. Then we'll climb this up and down twice, and that will mimic it. You know, and he's hoping that everybody else will be like, oh, okay, we wouldn't do that either. Meanwhile, I've got you, or like, this isn't going to do nothing. You know, we've seen the same thing with our, you have officers taught about keeping a standard, and um, they'll, they'll, they'll put a bar up that they can't reach. You can't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, you, you, you can't do that. That's, that's, that's horrible. I mean, I am not, I'm still at a 25 pound weight restriction, 
for my surgeon, and uh, which drives me crazy. And so I know I could do more, you know, but I'm, I'm not allowed to do stuff and this and that. So um, I'm not in the shape that I want to be in again. You know, I'd like to be back in the shape I was. And, and my guys would just blow out the water. And uh, But I always wanted to, when it came to the fitness part of it, the younger guys, I'm 54, so the younger guys would ask me all the time, I said, LT, it's good that you stay in shape to get your, to get your men if something bad happens. I'm like, that's not it. You're missing the point. I'm staying in shape so I don't go down so my men don't have to come get me. That's the reason why I stay in shape. It's got nothing about me being on the right team and going and getting them. Can I? Sure. I don't want to be the guy that goes down that has my men have to come in to that environment to come get me because I couldn't be this one to take care of myself. You I remember like, oh. doing some sled work a little while ago. in um, I think it was still in, in the last place. And pulling like 400 pounds on the sled with the straps. So simulating dragging someone out. And I had a kind of realization of the little post on it on social media. I'm like... I just realized that I can pull the heaviest member of my fire department out of a fire, but they can't pull me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, they're twice my weight, yeah. but they wouldn't be able, they'd barely be able to get themselves out no matter me. Yeah. That, I think, you know, if you look in the mirror and you realize you're the guy that can't pull anyone else out, you know, and then you add to that if you're a chief or a member of a union that opposes fitness standards, mm-hmm. you need to look yourself we're, in the mirror. Too. We're lucky with our department. We've got a pretty good fitness culture i mean our our uh our deputy chief in charge of that area uh was our uh in training and else he's the one to help put our egh together and else so we've got a pretty good thing we have the firefighter mile um and we've got an ems version of it for our firefighter standard it, it's not difficult um it, it is taxing if you're not in shape but if you're in any kind of shape you, you can get through this, this this program and um so they're taught about for a while there they were asked about making different age brackets like they do the military. And it was funny because one of the guys were talking to my wife at the hospital one day. And says, uh, well, how does, how does, how does LT Gillen feel about, you know, the fact that they don't make age brackets for, for the, for the firefighter mile, you know, cause he's, well, he's, he's older. She's like, he is. And says, so, so it's not fair that he has to compete with a 23 year old. And my wife goes, you know, I've been around a lot of firemen and um, I've never ever heard them talk about an old guy fire, a young guy fire. I've never heard a fire chief on a scene say, hey, uh, yeah, this working fire, go ahead and send me two engines with 23-year-olds on it. Mm-hmm. Grab me the female ladder. Yeah. You know? And they were like, oh, she's like, that's ridiculous. Knock it off. <laughs> so I was like, good for you, honey. <laughs> she was, they didn't like my answer, but I was like, oh. Well. So throwing another topic out there, one of the things that I talk about all the time is um, – uh, Chris Hickman's mentorship program that I know a lot of people are part of now, but I believe was, was Chris's baby initially. Um, there's so much, again, this this freaking environment that all these kids are growing up in, you know, there's this lack of community and service, but then there's also this eye-rolling kids today, participation trophies. Usually, let's be honest, by guys that don't walk the fucking walk anyway. Usually you're on spouting that shit. But where I see the solution is... Firstly, you know, they say if you want to change the world, start at home. So making sure that you're a good parent, you know, um, or a good, you know, child if you're living at home. But then to step outside your front door and mentor. And what I love about the local mentorship program here, um, firstly, Ocala and Marion actually talk to each mm-hmm. other, which is always good. Yeah. Um, secondly, you either raise kids up and prepare them for the fire service or like my bonus boy, my stepson, you give a kid an exposure and you're like, you know what? 
I don't want to be a firefighter. Awesome. You did it before you ever went to an academy, wasted money, etc. Yes. So talk to me your perspectives on mentorship as a solution to some of the challenges we've discussed before. It's going to, it is the only way a mentorship, a solid mentorship program is the only way we're going to be successful in keeping the standard that we want in the fire service. And if we're not investing in the young, the young people, um, we're, we're, we're going to be out of water. Like we, um, for example, many years ago, I was, I started off as an explorer and that was a great mentorship. It was loosely, but it was a mentorship program that got me into the fire service. And I ended up having the ability to start a, uh, explorer post, uh, for a couple of years at my agency. And, and we ended up hiring somebody that ended up so he was a, a high school explorer. He was 14 years old when he came through the Explorer program. He ended up graduating. He ended up um, going to minimum standards and EMT school, and we ended up ended up hiring him. So this is that is this is like and this is a small department, and we were able to like have just one good success story like that. And there's a couple other kids that decided that they did not want to go to the um, in the fire service. We had some went to the military and that kind of thing. So. If you if you have people that are dedicated to mentoring the youth in in any way, that is going to help tremendously. And some of the people might not end up becoming firefighters, but you, like you said, they're they're going to end up becoming just good, solid human beings because they've they've had that person, that time, somebody invested in them and their well being, and they. They became a better person for that. And they might become a better firefighter for it, or they might become a, a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. You know? Yeah. If we want a good product on the back end, we have to put forth the work on the beginning. Um, and that's I think that gets missed on a lot of times in, in, in our line of work and in, in any organization. You have to put the right people in the right place to affect the change. Um if we still have a lot of the old, the, some of the older guys in our department and else that are like, that should have been taken care of before they got to me, you know? And, and sometimes it's not the case, you know? Or they don't have the time. Or I didn't join the fire department to raise a kid. You know, I, I've heard that from all sorts of people. That's training division's problem. You guys, you, you guys should, should get, them, get them fixed before they got to me. And I'm like... So you walk through man, the door and everything. Like, like man, I've, I've, I've got nine weeks for the kid. Well, you know... Mm-hmm. It's Gillen, not Jesus. I've got nine weeks for the kid, you know? <laughs> Gillen is Scottish for Jesus. There you Jesus. go. So, you know, so I'm just like, come on, guys, you know? And it's just, and it's one of those things. And we've got to end up in unison, try to help these young people with different things, um, engage them in different ways, find what makes them tick, you know? Um, I have stoic lines of different things. I have, I'm, guys used to laugh at me, come to the station. We'd have dinner. Um, you know, it, it was it was like when everyone was, it was like 15 bucks got you breakfast and dinner. All right. That's it. All right. Cool. So the kids would get there and like, a, hey, uh, hey, uh, so, so, so what's your cash app? I'm like, what? <laughs> Bless yeah, you. What, 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 yeah, what's, like, I, I kid, kid, go to the bank and get cash. I, I, what? I'm like, get cash. 
I don't have it. When you are on the, when you're on the rescue, stop by Winn-Dixie, get a pack of gum, and pull out 15 bucks. You know, we're not doing the cash app thing. I want you to know how to transaction with with money and people. You know, like, oh, he made me use cash. And it was just funny. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm doing this for you, not for me. You know, because obviously it's a lot easier with just the, the phone. And my guys would always laugh. They're like, hey, people come in and like, hey, Elsie's a stickler about cash. Make sure you got cash for dinner. We're just saying, you know. So they had to laugh about it. And I would, Fred's always like, my driver was always, one of the guys that was one of my crews. I was like, I hate to use cash. It's such a pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm teaching you guys a lesson you know so just stuff like that and it's just it's such a an ongoing process and for people like me or you um, it, it's it's different for us it's I mean my kids are 22 and, and 20 you know and I've got these kids in that are just like the kid with the belt for instance I'm just like I've had to show a young man how to shave you know and I'm like I get it, you know, but I never did it begrudgingly. So I was like, okay, this is the role I got to play, you know, different things. I mean, kids come up to me one of these like, uh, hey, LT, uh, I got invited to go to a wedding. I don't know what to wear. I'm like, what kind of wedding is it? It's the one where they get married. I'm like, no, is it a formal wedding? Is it, is... <sighs> Let me see an invitation. Okay. I had to go help the kid pick out clothes. He had no idea what to wear for a you wedding. You need a speedo. Yeah, sure right. where it is. yeah, he was just like, he was, he was like, he was like, I was going to wear t shirt. If it was a shift boots. wedding, it could be. So it was just one of those tits. And I was like, I was like, man, I, you know, I never thought to see the dad to teach a young man how to dress for something occasion. You know, so it was just interesting. It's just, it's, it's going to be the success of the fire service moving forward is going to be based on mentorship, but it's going to be mentorship in a different way. We are still going to have to be the mentors we've always been and always expected everybody else to be, but we are going to have to mentor in a different way as well. And that's going to be hard sometimes because, you know, depending on calls and everything else, but um, in order to be the, in order for the fire service to be the successful fire service that we know and love, it's we, the fire service is going to have to change just to evolve. Right. And it, you know, we could, we could, we could sit and complain about it. It shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be that. It was this. When it, okay, okay, great. But if you want it to get better, you've got to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, right? The hardest thing for for, you know, I know you'll like this because of the mental health aspect of it, is how to prepare these young men and women for things you're going to see. Um, I can tell you all day long the stuff you're going to be exposed to. But it doesn't really prepare you for it. And so the hardest thing for, for me as an officer was trying to either get them involved in something, but shield them from stuff that's actually absolutely unnecessary. You know, if you're not doing patient care on a person who's completely immediately in a car crash, I'm not going to put you in with them just so you get exposed to it. That's dumb. That's how you. That's how you hurt. That's how you mentally screw somebody up. I always say there's no trophies for seeing the most shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. But when I was coming into fire service, that happened to me. Hey, hey, and I was 35 when I came into fire service. I'm like, hey, you got to get used to. It. You got you seen the stuff. I've got to get used to it. That's a horrible thing to tell somebody. You know. 
I remember very early, so I was already hired in in Winter Park, but then I was still volunteering a little bit down in Osceola County early in my career. And in February of 1998, uh, tornado hit Central Florida, and there was a. I was a lieutenant on the on the volunteer department, and I had the like the command vehicle that night, and there were. Uh, 11 tornadoes touched down in Osceola County that night, seven of which were in the area that I was responsible for. And we didn't, there were, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy what we saw, what we did that night, whatever. And whatever it was, it was, it was a career defining moment and everything else. But, uh, and then it's because I was a volunteer, I had to go to work the next day at the fire department. Cause I didn't want, I wanted to make sure they knew that that was my priority. So I went, I was out all night long running a call, doing all this stuff for the, for the, for the storm. And then I went straight from there, went to the fire station, got cleaned up and then went to work. Cause I was, I was a fire inspector at the time in Winter Park. But anyway, um, we ended up having some sort of, uh, debrief. It wasn't like CISD, whatever it was just, it was, this was, 98. So it was, it was not evolved the way it should have been at that time. But I remember, uh, we had some people come in and we had a bunch of the volunteers that were at at this call that responded that night. And nobody, nobody even talked about what this process was supposed to be. They never even talked about, they never even explained to us what we were supposed to talk about, what was okay to talk about, what was not okay to talk about, whatever. And so, everybody it was it was the room was silent nobody was talking and i remember that i de- i decided to i i knew that i had to be the first one to start talking and i was i was cuz i was the highest ranking person on the scene for that first night and i just remember telling like i was like listen i don't even know how bad this was i know what i saw and right now i think nothing's wrong with it, but I'm sure I'm going to have some problems with some of the things that I saw that night. And, and I just, as, as, as the first person to start, start that conversation, I just tried to normalize it. And I wanted to make sure everybody else understood that it was okay to talk about what they saw that night because we had people there that, that knew what to look for and knew whatever. I, I still didn't even know the process at the time, but I knew that we just had to start talking and sharing what we saw. And I don't know that much ever came from that, but I remember that was my first um, opportunity to, and I don't even know how I got on, onto this and I'm sorry, but I, I was the first, it was the first opportunity for, for me to talk about things that I saw on a scene. Uh, and it was, you know, pretty traumatic and this was pretty early on in, in my, my career. And, uh, but I know as, as the most ranking officer, I just need, I knew that I needed to be the one to start that process and normalize that conversation. And that's what it was is. So I think as, as veterans in the fire service, we need to normalize that conversation with everybody. We need to make sure that people know it's okay to talk about what they see and what they saw and what they did and, and everything. And, and James, I, I love, I love your concept of let's put some of this, uh, money, our hiring money for, um, 
polygraphs and stuff like that, put that money into um, counseling ahead of time, create that environment where people know about counseling and what's available and stuff like that. I think that would have been very helpful in that instance early in my career. And I can only imagine that that could have served me very well throughout the remainder of my career. I know our department now has a um, as command as our health and wellness safety uh, battalion chief. So that's what he is in charge of as a mental health aspect of it. They sent him to different um, functions, different um, counselors, like seven things. He's, I mean, he's taken off and ran with it. Like he, they've given him full authority to, to learn as much as he can to bring stuff back to the department and help us with any kind of crisis and stuff that we have and get people trained in the right area, which is fantastic. Unfortunately, the things that took to get that happen were, were bad. Um, we had, uh, I think it's five suicides. Let me see here. You have four and five four, years. Four, 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 yeah, four and five years. And then one attempt. One attempt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, as, a, as a young, a, a newer guy, um, it happened at the hospital. The medic, when he was given off a report and everything else, he was going to jump off a patient and stuff like that. And he came in and he got in the truck and um the kid got a hold of the had gotten a hold of the drug keys. Um and uh he earlier on and got into the the box and pulled out some uh some rockeronium and pulled it up in her nose, didn't know it though, she was an EMT in her nose. And the guy gets the truck, looks down, he sees a syringe and the the, the, the file. He's like, what the hell? And he looks at the kid and the kid just goes and like falls out of the truck. He's like and he goes he goes like what the hell? You know? So he's at the ED and he pushes the emergency button on his radio. I was like, I need, I need help. And uh, yeah, the kid injects his leg with it, just the whole thing. just With a paralytic. Yeah, with a paralytic. Mm-hmm. Which and you think about it is an awful way, way to go. But it was like nobody knew. Nobody had any idea this kid had anything going on. Three different things, I guess. There was, they found some things in the kid's background that never ever came up. And um, I don't know the process that was taken, and, and, and I'm not really at liberty to say because I don't, I don't know. I just know they come to find out certain things, and uh, so they got the kid help and everything else, and the kid ended up living and stuff. But uh, it was a case of why didn't, what did we catch at? Well, nobody ever did enough digging we're, in the kid. We're not asking the right it. questions. Correct. We're not asking the right whatever. You know? So then, so then we had the other couple of suicides after that, and um, you know, the one the kids that one of the guys that committed suicide was one of my good friends, Emilio. And um and that was hard, you know. It, was, uh, it still was, it was the anniversary of his uh, birthday of the other day, and um, so we've had and then we we talk about it's a weird little thing, and what we've done we talk about it in circles is, so, for him they put his name on the side of a fire truck. Sounds like an admirable thing to do. The guy that at the same station he was at, um, Frank Canizares died. They put his name on a fire truck, on an ambulance. Okay, cool. And all of a sudden, we're like, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. We're going to run out of fire trucks soon. Well, and then, because they're saying, what now? Hey, I don't feel anything right now. My life feels useless, this and that. I don't feel of any worth. If I do this, they'll put my name on the side of a fire truck and they'll remember me. We're like, whoa, maybe we're going about this the wrong way. You know what I mean? And what, what we thought was a good thing. And that's, you know, the, the intent was there. Correct, yeah. But when you first started talking about that, I'm like, ooh, 
I don't know that that's going to be a good thing. And I think, and I don't, and we haven't done it with the other, with the other gentleman. And, um, and I think it was, we, we, we kind of reversed our mindset on it. Um, cause I guess in a way we thought this was going to be nice with Amelia. It was going to be an isolated case. Exactly. So, so you know what, one of the things is it, Winter Park a number of years ago, we had a, a retiree come in and this this guy at the time, he had 33 years of service. He retired with 33 years of service. He was the high, highest retiree we'd ever had or more, most years of service. And uh, one of the new guys, he came, this guy came in, he was just getting ice, you know. One of the new guys goes, hey, there's, you know, uh, some guy out there just getting ice. And I'm like, look, and it's like. It's, it's this guy. I don't want to say his name, but it's, well, it was, it was Cal. It was, okay. It's Cal. You just, you know, you go help him. Yeah. Like that's, you, that's what you got to do. Yeah. So I'm leaving a bunch of parts of the story out, but what, what we ended up doing is we ended up um, getting a bad, we got a helmet front done. Anybody who, who did 20 years or more in Winter Park got a, a plaque made up with a helmet front with their badge number on it, their name their rank and then it said there was a little plaque at the bottom and it said you know proudly serving the citizens of winter park from this day to this day and you had to hit 20 years in order to get that and there's you know because i wanted to make sure that people knew about our retirees they should be the the reason why i'm saying this is that that's what should be celebrated is hitting the 20 years and and retiring and enjoying your life not ending your life yeah you know, and like I said, it was meant well, and it was a good sentiment. You know what I mean? And it's you know, it was one of those things. And we're like, did we did we send the wrong message by doing that? And, and we never really get a full discussion of it. It was a case of for that reason why we don't do it anymore. But it was just like, wait a minute, that's two, and wait a minute. But, but this is this is the hard part about being specifically becoming a, a, a chief officer in a fire department is you can't react emotionally when stuff like this happens and it's hard because emotion is going to happen but something like that i feel like that was emotional decision and it was it was it was on the right it had the right intent but what are we are we saying are, are we celebrating the wrong thing or whatever yeah i'm trying to think oh his name gets thrown a bite for me and i and i and I'm, i feel horrible about it right now um Kissimmee uh, killed the motorcycle accident. Bill um, Manning, Billy Manning. Yeah. Okay, and I'm horrible. I couldn't remember his name. Uh, so he does his motorcycle accident got killed on the motorcycle. So they give him a full, full fire department funeral. Fire department hero funeral honors. That a lot of people in the department were like. So what are you going to do for someone that dies in the line of duty? You just give this guy the whole kid caboodle. There's a lot of, as much as, as there much as love Billy, Billy's an awesome guy. Um, there are a lot of people were really upset over that. And that's what I'm saying is that was an emotional decision mm-hmm. that they, and he was a super solid guy. Oh, and yeah. He was like everybody, but it's hard. And we'd even, uh, actually one of our, there was some, honor guard commanders in, in central Florida, in the area there that were, or in the, you know, Orlando area and stuff that were trying to come up with the criteria of what is, what is line of duty? What is not line of duty? What do we do for off duty accidents or, or, or whatever? Yeah. And 
And that's where I share it. It's, it's an emotional decision. And we started, and we had fire chiefs all agreeing to some of these things. Yeah. And then as soon as it happens in their organization, they, all that went out to the window and they start doing full honors for this and everything. And again, the intent is there, but we have to, we have to make some of the difficult choices because yeah. if we water it down for everybody, then what are we going to do? There, there's no difference if it's a like legitimately line of duty type of thing or not. It's it's just, it's hard. It's it's emotional. It's emotional. Well, I think what's hard as well is that you know we think of line of duty as okay, he fell through a roof, he got burned to death. That's a legit bona fide line of duty. Yeah. Well, what about the the guy that OD'd after 15 years of yeah. seeing horrible shit? Was yeah. that not? You know what I mean? And even with you know just to go back to what you were saying about the um the on-ramp thing Mm -hmm. is now i know seven years of doing this how many of us have trauma before we ever put the uniform on so you know looking at the way we choose we we don't choose we don't select we box check so that we cya you know so rather than be proactive and be like all right at the front door here's some tools you know here's your pt here's your your bunker gear drills but then we're also going to do counseling sessions and this is why you guys have probably been led to do this position because you've got things in your past that led you to be a protector that's just what happens in our profession so let's start talking about that too because a lot of our young guys alan trip emilio you know they're like well he's only been on a handful of years exactly yeah that's that shouldn't be a discounting comment it Correct, should be yeah. like this is terrifying we've been doing it wrong these are all great firefighters but we've got a the same way as if they came in you know with a leg in a cast we're like we still want you but let's get that leg fixed let's just go through to the next class and we'll bring you in and we don't look at that with the mind you said it with all grab like you said that about gravitating towards life of service you, your dad was former law, was law enforcement okay you grew up that way um i grew up uh my my grandfather was a biggest influence in my life as a, as a kid. My grandfather was a regimental sergeant major for the British Army. You know, I grew up with a military background from him. Ended up coming to the United States, became a United States Marine. So I've always known a life of service in some way, form, or another. You know, um, so I just want to say, just gravitated towards that. You know, I just I never thought of anything different really. In fact, I was when I got the Marine Corps analysis after doing private security a bunch of other stuff, I was going to become a cop because I was good with weapons. You know, then I realized I couldn't go on a SWAT team right away and, you know, just writing speeding tickets was boring. So I became a cop. <laughs> I became a fireman, you know, so, you know, just one of those different things. But it's just that, like you said, there's something, I don't know if it's heroic or broken, like you're saying, that wants you to have that that need to help others. It's a good thing, but at a certain point, you set yourself up for some kind of trauma with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's understanding the kind of person that would be good, which is why tattoo policies and you know misdemeanor discounting so so and so had a speeding ticket or they had marijuana when they were whatever bring them in do the site you know do not site test do the you know background check and then we'll we'll determine okay you know you stabbed 12 people to death yeah maybe you're not the right person for this but you know you did a couple of things you 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 paid your you paid what was you know you you did your time and now you know this is the, the 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 facade that we think that it's only choir boys mm-hmm. that can do this because Miami Beach, I did a pre-app with them yeah. after I did like kind of, um, you know, one test, the fire test where it goes out yeah. to a bunch of people. And I said, yeah, and I tried this drug in Japan at the time of my life. 
danced with a bunch of people, hugged them, nothing happened. Yeah. And they literally screwed it up and threw it in my face. And I was like, oh, so you've got to lie to be in the fire service. Yeah. Got it. And I lied my way through polygraphs and like, okay, yeah. this seems to be counterproductive because I thought honesty was kind of important, but fuck yeah. it. Yeah. You know, a drug that used to be a marriage counseling drug that, by the way, now is working really well for PTSD yeah. was so appalling to the gentleman that was judging me that probably went home and slammed eight beers when he got home. Yeah. And this is the thing. We, we've got to take a step back. And some of the things that we do are just so fucking ass backward. And, you know, we got to, we got to, keep the things that are working and like you said with the progress of these younger generations some of their tools you know we're understanding mental health now let's revisit the way that we hire the way that we screen mm -hmm. take good people give them all the tools at the front door remove the yeah. barrier to entry to mental health make it a normal conversation set them up for success exactly yeah, yeah. and so the moment they see a horrible thing they're like i'm gonna go see miss sandra mr steven whoever because that that kind of sucked let me get it out now but you know, and I'm I'm not saying that there that we should create all these policies and everything, but there's almost there there's always been this policy about you know well you can call in a, a some sort of team and and you can call in, but some of this stuff should be default at a certain at a certain when you hit hit a certain level of call or you you hit certain whatever somebody should be able to one just throw the flag and everybody goes for counseling or something like that just because i don't want to be the one to do it but if we normalize it it's okay to talk about it it's okay to call people in that that can only be helpful yeah. right you know i kind of cringe at the idea oh that so and so sent their team down to that you know and and also the whole kind of I can't help but say, but it's box checking one single facility in the northeast of our country. All right, we took care of mental health in the fire service. I think I think it's bullshit. I really do. We need to have lots of peer, uh, you know, counts. What they call it? Culturally competent clinicians embedded in all fire departments, not just the Team America fucking World Police. That the Vegas shooting happens and they throw their capes on and come down. Like, all right, everyone good? All right, we'll see you later then. That's not. That's that's again. That's almost like a mental health version of virtue signaling well we we did the job you know we're off now and no disrespect yeah. to the people involved but yeah, i yeah. don't think that system works well again it's instead of saying that it's not that that doesn't work and i and i understand what you're saying i i just everything in what we do is evolving like minute by minute basis so why are we thinking that the old way of doing CISD, CISM, any, any, whatever we're calling any of this, why do we think that that is going to, if that hasn't evolved to this new generation of calls and employees and trauma that we're seeing, if that hasn't evolved, why do we think, you know, we should, everything, it should all be, we should be changing all of that and how we're doing it and whatever it takes. I was, I was just reminded um, when you were in Brooks, did you have to see the psychological counselor? Yes. Yeah, I, I did too. They have you do psychological counseling when you're in rehab, and as a young lady, and you have a question or else, and you ask you different things or else. They want to assess your mental health, how you're dealing with your injury, and the limitations you have or else, which I thought was was phenomenal. I was I wasn't expecting that, yeah. you know. And I, I adamantly told us that I, I don't need this, and she's like, No, you you do. You do. Yeah, you know, and I was like, "No, no, I'm good." She's like, "No, I understand no, no, you're no, happy, no, no, you know, but no, no, you do." Yeah, you know, 
and, and that was yeah i i had the same thing and it was the the other thing was is i i was very fortunate that even after that i was told at one point to follow up with a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. and some of that got lost in translation and stuff like that but anyway it was uh one of my occupational therapists was i was working just trying to work on my arm on some stuff or whatever and my, my one of my occupational therapists goes um are you seeing a speech therapist? And I'm like, well, well no. She's like, why not? And I'm like, because I'm talking just fine. I, I I noticed some differences in my speech, but I'm not, you know, and uh, and cognitively I'm still whatever. But she, she's like, well, just just go see speech, and and they can talk about cognition and and stuff and everything. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I went to I went to the the um, speech therapist and have a couple conversations and she's helped me with a couple things. And again, it was a cognition thing. It wasn't actual speaking type thing. And I'm like speech language pathologist. That's that, what that phrase is or that, that position is called so poorly branded because they do so many other things besides just speech. So it's like the fire department. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Um, but anyway, this, uh, this person, she was phenomenal. She helped me realize she helped me realize Mm -hmm that I was depressed. And you know what? It's okay that I was depressed because I went through a pretty significant injury, a pretty significant lifestyle change and all these different things. And it was like, she normalized, helped me normalize that in my mind. And then I was like, oh yeah, I guess it is okay. Because I remember, and and actually when I went to that uh, clinical psychologist, um, it was just Funny how it worked out. I guess he was the one that I saw when I was in the hospital. Oh wow! And so um, I went to him and I said, "Hey, you know, I was told to come here. I don't, I don't know why. I don't, I don't need you. I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing here at this point. This was still very early on in my recovery." And he goes, "You don't remember me?" And I go, "No. Why?" He goes, "You basically ran me out of the hospital." I go, "What?" He goes, "You were, you were, you didn't want to talk to me at all." And I'm like, "Well, sorry, sir. I wasn't being yeah. trying to be disrespectful." But I, at that point, I still thought I was going to be back at the fire department. I yeah. thought I was going to be. And so it was so programmed in my mind that I couldn't have any anything mental health related. And I couldn't have to see a psychologist of any type. I, I, I couldn't. So I, I automatically said, no, I, I don't need you. I don't want you, whatever. And then that same guy basically had to go with my tail between my legs and be like, hey, help me understand what I'm going through here. You know? Oh, <laughs> I know when I was I spent seven days in the ICU. I don't remember anything, and uh, lots of people came and saw him in and else. And and uh, someone would say something, have a conversation, and I'd look at Cheryl, and she'd be like, "Hey, yeah, yeah, they came and saw you." And I'm like, I'm, "I'm sorry, I don't remember that." You know, and I'm like, "Well, yeah, you were on you were on some drugs and all this stuff." I'm like, "Oh, I'm, I'm obviously I was. I don't remember. I remember this." And uh, so there's a couple things like that, and they helped me like different things or else. And it was like a whole part of that whole is just. I'm from I don't know if it's from like a just a really severe concussion or whatever probably, and um I don't remember some of those things. There's some of, there's a lot of those events I don't remember, and um I guess I got the argument with one of the the, the girls therapist there, and I told her I was going to run over from a wheelchair or something like that, or just some, like this was like crazy <laughs> stuff, and uh so just a whole bunch of stuff, and it was it was interesting when I went to different went to the Brooks and said they brought that lady in. And I'm all happy-go-lucky as far as now. Yeah, I, I'm, I realize that right now life sucks, but you know I'm going to make the best of it. And that lady sat me down and talked to me, and I was like, I told her, I said, 
honey, you're depressing the hell out of me. Yeah, you know, she starts laughing. She goes, no, no, we're we're trying to unlock certain little things. And and she was she was great, you know. Like Cheryl left her room there now. Mike was by my side the whole time, and um, so it was just interesting, different things. And it, so they talked to Cheryl separately, and she's like, "You have a good support, you know, mechanism to her." I said, "Oh yeah," and um, it's just it's just like one like we said one of those different things that, that and that's what just made me think about when you said about the the things. Yeah, they gave me a speech uh, person or else, and I'm like, I'm talking just fine. And then uh, she said, we have some stuff going on. But I was like, no, that's a Scottish accent. He's hard to understand sometimes anyway. <laughs> He's slurring. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but it was interesting, all the things that in the rehab place that you wouldn't think on that they do. Yeah. And so. One of the things there, like, just randomly, they, uh, you know, I, I was in a wheelchair while I was there. And, uh, you know, I was getting out and, and trying, to, trying to walk with a cane and stuff like that. But that was a train wreck at the time. But, uh they did a, did you do recreational therapy? Oh yeah. They did recreational therapy. And one of these therapists, they had you, one of the things they did was they go, we're going to lunch. We're going out to lunch. Yeah. I got on a, on a handicapped bus with a wheelchair lift and everything. And we went out to lunch and this, uh, it was like a Greek restaurant. It was really good by the way. Um, and it was, um, I had to learn, I had to go through the process of being okay with, being disabled, which was new to me, I had to work off the menu, cognitively read the menu, tell the the waitress what I wanted, all these different things, and this was part of the rehab, and it was it was a great part of the rehab. I would have never ever thought about that, mm-hmm. but I remember that I remember that to this day. Like I was like, oh my gosh, that's like that was a big part of it, you know. Well, speaking of hope as well. A lot of the kind of new, uh, you know, neurologists, neurophysiologists, all the other neuroscientists. When we were all young, I remember saying like, once you damage the brain, once you damage the spine, that's it. That's you forever. And you hear all these people, and again, that evolution, whether it's mental health or fitness or whatever, these conversations is like, no, you know, I've had people on now that you know, especially with TBI being so prevalent with our veterans. Yeah. There's a lot of hope. It may not be overnight, but you know, people that that are, um, you know, progressing from full quad to to para to being able to hold their body weight up. I mean, it's it's that's what we need in every facet. Is not you know, oh, that will never work. You know, the the old way of thinking. But find someone who who overcame it. I uh, and use them as your beacon. Absolutely. I just got done reading the book not too long ago. Um, Objective Secure, Objective Secure by Nick Lavery. And uh, he's the guy that was the uh, the first combat, first special forces amputee, and um, to see actual combat or else. So this guy is a big guy from Boston or else. And when you read the book or else, he talks about going to Walter Reed when they took his diagnosis. Walter Reed, and um, he says they've got an oval track in there. And he says he's talking about um, when he got fitted for the prosthetic, and um, he says so he gets on there and trying to walk with her now so he starts getting a little cocky so he starts to try to walk a little faster and he just he says he says I wipe out he goes in like historic wipe out fashion he goes I just eat it he goes not he goes I end up on a bunch of stuff and a bunch of weights like kettlebells he goes there's like plate weights falling off and they're like falling rolling like rolling like a penny over towards like the physical therapist and they make this huge crash and I'm on my face and on the sun he goes and the, and the person goes okay now get up 
He goes, and here I'm embarrassed. I'm laying in all these weights. And he goes, and the only thing to tell me is, okay, now get up. And he goes, it's just a case of hearing that, get up. You're going to fall down, get up. He goes, and I fell down a lot. And that's what my kept saying, okay, you fell down. It's going to happen. Get up. And it's, so it's really interesting. This guy is like crazy. Like they just hear what he went through. And, um, but it was like, he said, he says in the whole thing, and he goes, I kept remembering, get up. There's nothing historic advice or, you know, no big huge Facebook quote, just the words, get up. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's really awesome. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up. It's getting late, and I know, Jim, you've got a pretty decent drive ahead of you. So uh, um, I was going to go into leadership, but I think really leadership is encompassed by everything we've discussed anyway. So um, are there any parting words you want to leave before we wrap this up I'm just excited I got to sit with a guy that I just think the world of since the first time I met him and it was thank you for having me alright it's an honor to be with two of you so thank you so much yeah definitely thanks for having us it's um I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about today um, matter of fact I was just talking with somebody about it ahead of time uh, on the way here basically like, what are you going to talk about? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about. And, and you know, I, I don't even remember what we talked about already. <laughs> the nice thing about having a brain injury, you can kind of forget about a lot of things sometimes. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you're, you're doing great work with, with what, with our, uh, with our profession. And I appreciate what you do for, for everybody and, and bringing two of us here that had a very different, but a very similar, uh, situation um it's pretty neat and uh to just share some share some time with everybody so i appreciate it